Hello and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, or the TFM. Uh, we are glad to be back with you after Christmas and New Year's. Now, Tony, did you have a good Christmas? Yes, I did. I enjoyed it very much. We had a wonderful service at our church. And did you worship at the altar of Santa Claus? <laughs> Not quite, no. So, Yeah, I built a smaller altar next to my altar to Jesus, of course. Okay. <laughs> as long as he's chief among the gods, I guess. Yeah, uh, exactly. Did you craft a giant elf on the shelf for your Christmas celebration? Uh, I did, and then, you know, we put a big Festivus pole in the living room and oh, uh, did feats of strength and that kind of thing, so we had a great time with that. Did you have, like, a Burning Man type thing with this uh, <laughs> giant elf on the shelf? <laughs> No, but you know, I, the other day after Christmas, we went to Target and I saw a a minch on a bench, on a Hanukkah version of Elf on the Shelf, and uh, I should have taken a picture and, and sent it to you, but that was a new one on me. But it was the after after Christmas clearance stuff, <laughs> um, so maybe next year we can talk about that. But well, today let's get to it. The first couple episodes we talked about what we wanted to do, what we wanted to accomplish with these conversations then we had a special christmas edition where we talked about christmas practices as christians within our family we talked about santa claus and uh, we kind of lovingly took him behind the woodshed today we want to talk about something that we mentioned earlier on uh, and that is family worship or family devotion time family bible time so what is family worship or or whatever it is that, that you call it Well, unfortunately, I think for most people, family worship might be described as their normal religion of basically worshiping their family, (laughs) but I don't think that's what we're talking about. Yeah, I think it's a base definition. Family worship is time of worship with your family, worship together of God around the dinner table or after breakfast in the living room, something like that, intentional time of celebrating God and worshiping together as a family. I hear a lot of different names by it. Uh, there's the old term of rose by any other name. I think really the best name for a rose is a waste of money, but this is kind of one of those things where it's a rose by any other name. Some people call it family devotion. Some people call it family Bible times. But either way, you know, I think the principle is the same. Uh, and I think it's just important that you have some kind of intentional times of family Christian worship together. Uh, and historically, this has consisted of three different things at minimum. It's historically consisted of Bible study, not just reading the Bible, but actually studying the Bible. It consisted of prayer time together, as well as singing to the Lord. Okay, so that's a pretty helpful introduction. Now, do, do many families, you think, do this? Unfortunately, I don't think many do. It was in practice more in the past, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but I I don't believe that it's a common occurrence. I think sometimes it can be an overwhelming practice to some to start this new task, and hopefully we can provide some resources to make it a little easier to people. But there were times in church history in which this was done every day, sometimes even twice a day. Do you think many people do it? Um, I don't think in quite the way you're describing. Um, Not to say that there aren't you know, some things going on with some intentionality, but um, but yeah, I don't know that it happens uh, as much as it has in different periods within the church. But now, is there a biblical or a theological reason that that we should do this, um, or is this just something that super spiritual people do? What are your thoughts on that? 
of course, only super spiritual people do. No, no, this is uh, very biblical. In fact, it was seemed to be the norm in some senses for what God called people to do. Uh, there's really a couple different passages on it, and I'd really like to just kind of read uh, one specifically, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7, that seems to suggest some kind of intentional family worship. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. To me that seems pretty clearly to be suggesting some kind of intentional talking about the things of the Lord. Even intentional times of talking about the Lord and, and worshiping him together. Further a story of when Abraham took Isaac oh, to make a sacrifice an offering. He famously was going to offer Isaac to honor God. God called him to and God provided a ram. And the interesting thing it says in this, it shows that Isaac, as he goes along with his dad, he recognizes what's going on. He asks uh, where the lamb is. Uh, So this suggests that Abraham and Isaac were used to going together with some frequency, worshiping God, making sacrifices together. Not, there was no nation, but as a family, celebrating a time of worship. Uh, and there's a couple other more, but maybe there's some ones that really stuck out to you, Ben. Yeah, you know, yesterday I was reading uh, a pretty old book in preparation for this. Um, it was written back in the 1800s by this Presbyterian pastor and he, he made the observation that the family is the oldest institution that, that's been ordained by God, and it precedes the nation of Israel, precedes the priesthood and the yeah. temple, and precedes the church. And so God expected his people to worship him even before those things. And so, um, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, and I mean, there's this is kind of getting... Um, off the, the path a little bit, but I mean, there's a lot of folks out there that would say that there's temple imagery even there in the garden, that it was like this garden temple, and Adam yeah. is the priest, and, and that kind of thing. So, I mean, that, that's getting a little bit technical, but that that, that uh, central to humanity was worshiping God, and right there from the start. So, those are being the you know, Ephesians 6 in the passage that deals with Christian households, uh, talks about marriage, mm-hmm. and then it gets into children. It says, raise them in the instruction of the Lord. And so, that does seem to indicate pretty clearly that there's an intentional teaching and passing on the ways of God. The passage that you mentioned, Deuteronomy 6, is really important. It lends itself to these yeah. intentional times where you sit down and there's some structure, but also, you know, when you walk in the way and when you sit down, when you lie down, when you rise. And so it's just making it a, a way of life. This is the norm that you're talking about the Lord and the things that please Him. And so that it's not strictly this, because uh, I don't think either one of us want to give the impression that if you just sit down for a little bit and, and have this focused time, then that's that's really all that you should ever do. Yeah, automatically, if you just give 10 minutes a day to family worship, at least seven days in a month, it's a recipe that your that your children will become Christians. You know, the Bible says overtly that. No, not at all. That's right. Train them in the way they should go and they, by having 10-minute devotions, and then when they're exactly. old, they won't depart from it. Um, yeah, and just play video games and hang out the rest of the time. So drop them off at anything where you don't have to have them in your face. Right. You're probably aware of this too, but I mean, there are periods in church history where, like in the 1600s, in Presbyterian churches in England, fathers were actually disciplined. They were removed from the church. If, if now, not just they missed a day of family worship, but if there was a pattern where they just weren't doing 
anything. And so then they would they would address it privately, and they still didn't repent. Uh, they'd be brought before the elders and then you know before the church, and they would say, you know, you can't be a member of this church and take partake of the Lord's Supper because you are neglecting your family spiritually. So they took it really, and I mean they put it in their statements of faith, and uh, Baptists did as well. So I assume a, that you practice church discipline at your church for that, right? <laughs> yeah, we take them <laughs> I out. I don't think you should. No, I, that may be stretching it. But I think if yeah. you see someone who's just really, really doing nothing, you, you know, come alongside and encourage. And but I don't think you take them by take them out behind the woodshed. <laughs> but um, talk a lot about <clears throat> taking out behind the woodshed. I well, I kind of have a little woodshed in the, my backyard, so you know it's. How do you? Okay. My, I put my weights and stuff in there, and my girls nice. call it the, the exercise house. But okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, Take your steroids back there, too? Yeah, yeah, I get the, the girls to help me so I don't hit my, <laughs> my head. Okay, so when we talk about doing family worship, um, and you said this, this is an intentional time, and you mentioned the elements of reading and singing and praying. So do we need to make it like a mini church service and have you know special music and uh, passing the offering plate, or is it something different than that? No, I think it's definitely different. I think there's always been a differentiation. Even I think we see that in some of these old historical quotes and how family worship was practiced in the past. So I really, uh, Richard Baxter has some great words in it. He said, the husband must be the principal teacher of the family. He must instruct them and examine them and rule them about matters about God. It doesn't say that he must practice home church discipline. It doesn't say that he must practice doing an altar call every time. He doesn't say that he must practice any of the, uh, making church announcements <laughs> in front of the family <laughs> worship time. No, instead, I think that instead we see that it's really just spending intentional time around the dinner table, worshiping God. Of course, you know, you do have to include passing a special offering for Pastor Tony's beach house in your family worship time, don't you? <laughs> yeah. You know, the, it's kind of like Creflo Dollar in that private jet, you know. Yeah, yeah, especially in family worship. You know, it's got to be for us and give us those beautiful beach houses. But no, I don't think it involves a ton of these things. And I think it involves a really basic study of the Bible often. It's not an overwhelming practice. Really, oftentimes that part of it, the study of the Bible, is maybe going to take three minutes. Total, grand total in family worship, sometimes it takes seven or eight minutes around that kind of time. And even with that, I think it's important that we study the Bible, talk about it, but I think it's often even appropriate to start with kind of a Jesus storybook Bible, a great storybook Bible, or introduction to the Bible for kids that are just starting to get where they can pay attention to that kind of things. I don't even think that you need to do a great deal of prep. Donald Whitney was a professor at Southern Seminary, and I think he said a lot of really awesome things about this, and he mentions that he never, as his family, he never spent intentional time of preparation for family worship. He just kind of went where the Bible led him. Even in that, you can do music and just singing. I think it's great to do music as part of family worship, but you don't need to have a great ensemble. You don't need to bring in the church choir for this. You can just sing along. If a member of your family perhaps is great at a certain instrument, you can include that member of your family's strengths. But even that, there's no biblical requirement that you have a trombone in family worship, is there, Pastor Ben? No, but, you know, a guitar solo would be great. Bass, too. you got to... Yeah, that's right. you got to... Slap to bass. got to have bass to have a rock and roll band. But, um, <laughs> no, I mean, and so... Uh, I mean, in my family, we typically will read and then discuss it, and then it, it's right before bedtime, so we give them a snack, mm -hmm. and 
that way it occupies them and you know and I have a, a two-year-old almost three and she sits still for a little bit and then she starts walking around within the kitchen like that's what usually where we do it. we sit on the floor in the kitchen and so but my older daughter who's five she, she sits there more and you know she's more engaged but the two I mean there's still elements where I do things with the two-year-old or ask her a question or that kind of thing mm -hmm. but yeah I mean we don't want to make this as long and as boring as dull as possible I you know try to make it short and sweet I mean ours can be just a few minutes now you, you talk about the, reading the Bible now how much of the Bible I mean are you talking like you read chapter you read a couple verses uh, what do you what do you do well, we have our two-year-old site to substantial portions of the Hebrew Old Testament from heart so that's an important part to us no we don't actually do that <laughs> uh, I don't know that I could do that <laughs> let me be honest with you <laughs> yeah for us we do it at the dinner table every day as well. I think that's a really great time sometimes for people if they can come together for dinner. Uh, we do it right after dinner. And we, for us, we start, the very first thing that we do is we uh, start with Bible verse memorization. So we do like, what we like to do is some Bible verses that are provided by children desiring God. They're called fighter verses or mm -hmm. the younger stage ones are called foundation verses. And we use those with our, our oldest child and, and our youngest, our youngest, youngest son, our middle child, he will participate some in that, but his vocabulary has not gotten to the point where he can recite those whole Bible verses. Uh, and we like to do that to song, and, and our daughter loves picking up those to song. And then we do uh, kind of catechism, which is basically memorization of some basic doctrinal truths. We call them North Star points at our churches from the North Star Catechism from Sojourn Community Church in Louisville, Kentucky. It's a Baptist, large Baptist church in Kentucky. And we'll do that with the kids. We do a couple of those. We actually kind of do those as a church together. And then we'll read like five or ten verses. You know, we don't write, we read substantial portions of scripture. We want our kids to be able to follow along. And so I think we probably average around eight or nine verses, depending on what the passage is. And we try to go through narratives of scripture because our mm -hmm. kids are younger right now. I assume you do that as well, right? See narratives. We do a lot of narratives. We don't focus on it okay. exclusively, but it just depends. A lot of times, depending on what's going on, that will uh, yeah. determine. But I mean, we've gone through a large section of John's Gospel, pretty much the whole thing. No, I mean that's awesome. I edit and I summarize. You edit the Bible. <laughs> I edit in the sense that I I skip some some verses of that kind of thing. If if it's you know background detail, just some things that, you know, trying to keep yeah, the story along. But uh, we also have read a lot of Proverbs. We've read Psalms. Yeah. And so, but yeah, I do try to focus on the narrative. Just recently I read some in James. And James is pretty ethical and to the point. And so, you know, we talked about God gives grace. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Yeah, and, that's good. And, and those kind of things. And so, again, it, we make it pretty short and maybe ask a question or uh, try to get yeah. the kids' imagination involved. Not just Absolutely. review. Now, this is, you know, point one, point two, point three. But to get them to think, mm -hmm. like if we're reading something about, you know, Jesus said this to the people. And like, do you, what do you think yeah. those people would have thought? That these guys that, like the Pharisees, everybody thought. They were so good and, and, and holy, and they thought they were too, and Jesus is calling them these names and, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing, just to get them to enter the thought world. Um, and we always try to, and speaking of that kind of thing, we always try to connect it to G the gospel and Jesus, to have that discussion every time. Now, we're studying through Matthew right now, and we've been in Matthew for a long time, so that's not exactly hard to connect it to Jesus when you're in the book of Matthew. Right. 
I think, yeah, that, that is important, too, that you're trying to connect to the gospel. And, you know, some people are going to, to, the more familiar you are with Scripture, maybe the, the easier that will become. But I, I think, you know, you don't have to say, well, of course I have to read a chapter because it's marked that way in my Bible. I mean, you could read yeah. a verse and, and, and just fruitfully Absolutely. discuss that. So I think the key is just to do something. What about and do you do much for music wise? We do. We don't do it every time. And like I said, we do ours before bedtime. So sometimes yeah. we'll sit there and sing a song together. Um, we haven't done one of those together in a while. But then, okay, a lot of times, we, then we put them in bed, and so we'll sing them a song or something as we're putting them in bed and pray with them. And so yeah. it, it's still tied together. And you know, I mean, I, I'll try to yeah. be intentional, especially with my older daughter, to sing some songs that we would sing at church or sing that I, uh, songs that I want her to learn. And she'll yeah. actually ask me. She's like, sing one of those, sing a church song. Yeah, actually, uh, around Christmas time, she was, she really likes the song Away in a Manger. But she said the other, she goes, I, I want you to sing that church song that's like Away in the Manger. And I thought, what is, what is that? And then finally, I was just, I had been singing the song to her uh, around Christmas, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Nice. And, and that, that was the one she was talking about. And I thought, how in the world is that like a way in the major? I mean, it's not like it sounds the same, but to her, it, the connection was made. So, um, A little more theologically astute than no crying he made. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But, she, you know, and she'll, she's sitting there and she, she's singing along. So, so those yeah. are ways, you know, you were That's teaching wonderful. It, it through your music as well. I mean, and that's something I've really come to appreciate more and more. The I just didn't grow up in a very musical family, and I grew up riding around in the car with my dad, listening to talk radio. And so, I didn't really start listening to music on my own until I was about okay. seventeen. And so, even now, I don't listen to a ton of it by myself. But uh, it does have a, a lot of power to you know. You're engaging yeah. more senses than simply reading or hearing something read to you, and so. So I think it's it's really important. And do you guys end with like prayer substantially? We do, and again, it, for a, a while we would we would read the Bible, and then you know they do their snack, then we'd brush their teeth and stuff, and then to, we'd sit there together as a family and sing and pray. Mm-hmm. For some uh, parenting and disciplinary issues, we had to separate them for a little while. Understandable. Um, and so then it kind of took. They were doing we were doing that with them individually. And with our youngest one, not as much. I mean, we would still I'd like pray over and that kind of thing. And she goes to sleep listening to to scripture music. But I'm a regimented person, as you know. <laughs> so what we end up doing a lot of times is uh, after we'll sing, uh, after the Bible, we do sing, and we often do kids friendly songs. We our daughter loves our older daughter loves the risers. It's kind of a verse memorization thing that was part of. Mark Driscoll's church that doesn't exist anymore, of course. <laughs> but it's great production value. Does it include profanity? <laughs> not really. No, it's not the okay. custing music. So that's good, though. Uh, the And then we have each person pray. And, you know, our youngest is just a couple months old, so obviously she doesn't talk at all. So she doesn't participate in the prayer. And a lot of times, because I'll pray before the meal, I'll let kind of mommy be the adult praying and family worship. But both our middle child and our oldest child both pray. And it's, some, it's sometimes the sweetest things, you know, to hear what they have to pray. And... Yeah, then my wife will wrap it up, and we'll pray for all the members of our church through a calendar. Actually, oh, that's great. Yeah, we have at times the girls will ask, particularly our oldest daughter. But you know, and and it's just an example of that we learn to pray by listening to other people, and so 
you know, listening to them pray. They're praying yeah. things they've heard us pray. And, and so sometimes I'll ask them if they want to, but a lot more often they'll just ask me. So, but th- I think that is an important element as well. And, and sometimes we do that at the dinner table as well. And, you know, neither one of us thinks that we've got this perfected. And, you know, recently we have not been uh, as regular as I would have liked. And mm-hmm. um, some of that's just due to parties and things like that going on late nights and but that's I think the key is not to get discouraged oh man I missed a day it's it's awful and and we don't do it every day now we do it regularly several times a week but you know we try to make the Lord a part of our conversations on a daily basis and and yeah I, I agree with that it's so important I mean we try our goal is to do it every day but you know even that every day sometimes it comes four or five times a week sometimes it's seven but you know and for me I was influenced by especially the English Puritans are doing it every day. They were big on doing it every day. But, you know, I know it's not for everyone. I think doing something is better than doing nothing with that kind of thing. But even then, you know, I think that there's always grace and that uh, making an effort is more important than whether you end up doing it as consistently as you would like to. Well, and that's, I want to just be careful not to try to impose some kind of new legalism. I think it is a means to great joy for your family um, and to, to worshiping the Lord together, but to not make it this burden for people. Now, what would you say to parents who say, there is no way I can do that? And they have a list of reasons like, I'm, what about I'm too busy? I think that with the busyness thing, we hear that in a lot of types of things. And ultimately, we all have the same number of hours in a week, uh, unless we can time travel, of course, which honestly, I can. So there's that. Sweet. <laughs> I actually just changing some major events in history. I ran out of juice in the time machine. You know, the DeLorean <laughs> wasn't quite up to speed. So. <laughs> we have really what we time for what we value. I think mm-hmm. when we talk about what we don't have time for or what we do have time for, I think we have to always have time for what we value the most. And I know that that's going to be a statement that some people don't want to hear. But we what we have to ask the question: What are our priorities? With the time question, with the idea that we're too busy, that perhaps we might be having our kids in gymnastics, which can be great. Perhaps we have a show that we need to watch every time. Perhaps Perhaps that there's concerts, perhaps there's any kind of number of things on our schedule, especially the kids' extracurricular activities, which can overwhelm. And I think we need to have the discussion, if we're putting Christ first, perhaps is it worth it to cut some of these things, to invest in our kids spiritually, even if it might cost them by the standards of this world? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you will make time for what's a priority. And, you know, it's just like 10 minutes. Oh, and that's, yeah, I mean, sometimes even less for us. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the things that we send out for our parents related to the Sunday school lesson, the title of the email is five-minute devotion. Break it down, two to three minutes reading this passage of Scripture. Yeah. Go over this, this point, pray, you know. And so I think, you know, the time spent is not as big of a thing as that you do something. But I would Absolutely. try to, especially when the kids are younger, keep it short and sweet. What if a parent says, I just don't know enough to do this? Like, I just don't know enough the Bible or about God. I, I, I want to do this, but I, I just don't know enough. What would you say? For me, I would say I'm not... You really don't need to be a scholar. I think we let... Especially if we let the Bible be your guide as the focus of our family worship. You know, the Bible's going to guide us, and the Bible's going to teach us often while we help our kids to understand it. So... 
We don't need to be a scholar in that way. We just need to be able to shepherd and care for our kids and help them learn through the Bible. And sometimes there are some basic tools that can help us. Perhaps if you have questions, you can note it while you're doing family worship and ask your pastor or ask another Christian who has more knowledge of the Bible. But, you know, your kids don't need to learn detailed Greek grammar. Your kids don't need to learn uh, systematic theology 401 (laughs) or whatever. They need to learn the Bible from you as as their basic Christian leaders, as their home pastor. And really, it often does help you learn and grow yourself. It helps you become a better leader through studying the Bible together with them, through learning how to analyze Scripture. And as with anything like this, if you're having trouble with it, if it's something that you're really struggling with and you need help, it's always appropriate to add, talk to someone who does it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, One thing I really thought was cool and my obsession with English Puritans. I'm sure the English Puritans will be brought up seven times in each of these podcasts on average. <laughs> yes, you know it. The English Puritan pastors would actually go to people's homes and would practice family worship with their with their families, kind of lead the family worship with the family to be an example, to show them how to do it. And perhaps that might be a situation where you might want to ask, hey, if your pastor or somebody in your church that's active in doing family worship, would you come over to my house and uh, for dinner sometime and we can work on this together and we can kind of learn from how you do it. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Just involving people that you know who are wiser or, or ahead of you who've got practice with it. And like, you know, your pastor doesn't understand everything in the Bible either. And no, no. theology professor understands everything about the Bible either. And so I think it's, it's a way for you to learn more and to model, mm-hmm. say, hey, kids, we're going to learn together. And, you know, I don't know the answer to this, but we're going to try to find the answer. Because they will. I mean, my... My five-year-old has asked me some fairly deep questions about God and that kind of thing that it surprised me. I'm like, man, boy, you're, yeah. you're we-. and now she's a pretty analytical kid, but you know those wheels are turning, and so she actually put me. I on mean, the spot. honestly, intellectually, it even helps them develop. It does. I mean, yeah, because they're not. I mean, she asked me a question about the eternity of God, how God could not have a, a beginning. They're not going to talk about that in in a lot of schools, maybe some schools, but I no. mean, even in a Christian school and kindergarten, they're yeah. probably not going to discuss that. And so, I mean, we had a chance to talk about it a little bit. So, yeah, I think that that just not knowing of it, well, it's an opportunity to learn more yourself. Mm-hmm. What if your kids seem bored or restless? I want to really contrast. I think we have a culture where we see any kind of boredom as being a great evil. Anything that we struggle with boredom on as being something that we should avoid, something that's doing it wrongly, or anything like that. And I think that we really idolize entertainment when we do that. So I, I think that the reality is there are things, sometimes even including this, not always, that we're going to be bored. Like even like sitting in a worship service, we're going to be bored sometimes. But if it's for our good, we persevere. But I think when we do face that, for us, sometimes we try to focus on where we're going, not where our kids are at, you know. We try to stretch our kids our kids' attention span and and try to cast a vision as we do family worship for how important this is and how beautiful this is. And I know that we're not right off the bat the kids are going to be stoked about it, but we hope that through setting the example and through being interesting ourselves, interested ourselves in it, that they will catch that passion and that vision. And it takes years and years of due diligence. Uh, and the reality is all kids will find it boring at first. That's 
perhaps there's an exception, but I think as a general rule, all kids will pretty much find it boring at first. Uh, but stress its importance and find ways to incorporate, incorporate what they enjoy. So sometimes when they do, you don't overwhelmingly bore them. You don't read five chapters of scripture to a two-year-old. Uh, that you work within their attention spans, but you know, Oftentimes, especially in music, for us is one of the times where we find ways to see what the kids really enjoy. Like I said, our daughter really loves risers. Our son really likes uh, the song, The Wise Man Built His House Upon the Rock, because at the end of each verse, he gets to go splat right. or firm, and he yells as loud as he can, splat or firm. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's it's being mindful of where they are and, and not imposing this this um, mm-hmm. this standard of it's got to be this long. And like you said, you <clears throat> I've been bored in worship services plenty of times in my life, but I didn't just say, well, you know, what? I'm going to stop going to worship services. <laughs> I'm just going to get out and, and walk out of the sermon, you know. Um, and so, and I, when we first started, and we had one child, I don't think she was just blown away by this. But then now, I mean, they'll, Dad, are we going to read the Bible tonight? You know, and so now even then, during they get bored at times and their attention strays and uh, plenty. But I think you just be mindful of that. Okay, and let's not belabor the point here. Um, now, how about someone who says, uh, "I'm I'm too embarrassed to start this. I just feel uncomfortable doing this." I think in that kind of thing, an embarrassment often is rooted in, in our pride, whether we admit it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we value something, when we care about other people, it, it means being willing to pass through and being willing to be embarrassed. And if we love our kids, uh, we have to be willing to embrace that, you know? And, and it's not embarrassing, you know? It's, it's perfectly okay to start it. And you're going to set a great example to your kids. And even if your kids are older, perhaps your kids are teenagers, perhaps your kids are, that, uh, are even older than that living in the house, you're going to set an example still for what's important to your kids, even if you haven't done it before. And you'll have an opportunity to talk to your kids about this and further discussion that you probably never had before. Yeah, I think just by the repetition of it, they're saying, okay, this is important. We do this regularly. We do this every day, however often. Um, And also just something we talked about earlier from James, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so just if you haven't and your kids are old enough to understand and say, I'm sorry we haven't done this, guys, but we're going to start doing this because God's worthy of our worship. Um, and, you know, one that we didn't mention, I do want to address. Another thing that's brought up sometimes is parents think, perhaps my kid's a little too young for this. Mm. You know, I've got a young kid. I, they're not ready for family worship yet. And I really love, again, Dr. Don Whitney, a professor at our seminary, uh, who really stresses family worship and family discipleship. <coughs> he kind of described the, uh, the thoughts of, I think he says it's a 14-month-old, but it can be a baby or anything of any age. And uh, he basically says that, uh, I don't know what, uh, in the baby's mind, I don't know what we're doing here, but we do it every day, so I know it's important. And I really like that part where we get to sing and clap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, and it does, you know, for a young child, if you start embracing some form of family worship, you, especially often if it's daily or it's weekly on a regular basis, they won't remember a time where you didn't do family worship. And there's a beauty to that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So are there resources that you recommend? Obviously, the Bible uh, would be would be top on that list. Um, but within that, I mean, um, I would say even an actual physical copy of the Bible and not just uh, on your phone or in your tablet. Not that those are wrong, but just so that they see, okay, this is coming from um, 
from a source. Whereas if they, they know that you use your phone, your tablet to send text messages and read your email and, and do all this kind of stuff. Now, I, I wouldn't be dogmatic about that. That's just a personal choice I've made. Um, but like, what, what, what translation? I mean, do you use the Latin Vulgate, King James? Um, and I, I will say for us, you mentioned the physical Bible, and we've been thinking about doing more physical Bible. We tend to, at home, when the kids see my iPad, it's almost entirely for family worship. I think it's really rare that we'll have my iPad out except for family worship. Mm. At home, I bring in the office, I preach with it and things like that. Uh, but, you know, they know that uh, it's my Bible app on there. Uh and, and I do, I think sometimes it is good to them to see that it's not more the Bible because it's physically a book. But yeah, I do agree that it can convey something psychologically. Uh, but we use the ESV that I'm a big fan of the translation. I, I think there are a lot of good translations there. And some people like even kids' Bible translations uh, for the sake of the understanding of the kids. And I like uh, using a consistent one, especially for the sake of when Bible memorization comes up, a, a translation that they can use for the rest of their life and that they won't be shocked or weirded out when they hear a Bible verse that's presented in a different way from what they heard it before. Yeah, yeah. we use the NIV. Um, I've got an old Pew Bible, 1984 edition. Uh, and I'm not a... You know, I mean, I use the 2011 as well. I think some of the criticism on that's overblown. Uh-huh. Um, oh yeah, I but agree. I mean, I, I use it, and then I still paraphrase things. You know, and I, I don't leave out some of the harsh stuff, but I do use some euphemisms, maybe like for yeah. sexual sin. I mean, I just said rather than they fornicated or something. Well, they pretended <laughs> like they were married to somebody they weren't. Uh, yes, you yes, know, those absolutely. Kind of so I'm still talking about it, but not. I don't think you have to give all the gory details for their development level, uh, but I, I don't think want it would to be a problem if you did. Oh yeah, I, th- I think definitely so. Uh, and we talked about earlier, you know, trying to go for the narratives, and um, because that that engages them. Um, now, outside the Bible, are there any other resources that you found helpful? Not at all. No, not even remotely. I'm kidding, of course. Uh, <laughs> no yeah, I found some different sources. Yeah, just read the Bible, of course. That's all you need. Uh, <laughs> no, I found in different areas. First, I do want to mention a couple books that are kind of just basic training on family worship, on family discipleship, and especially in times of fan- potential family worship. <clears throat> and the one I like the most is actually a book called Neglect- Neglected Grace by a pastor named Jason Helipopoulos. I don't know how to pronounce it, but uh, <laughs> a Neglected Grace. If you Google it, I'm sure you'll find it. And he's actually one of the uh, pastors at Kevin DeYoung's church, University Reformed Church in Michigan. Uh, and I, it's a really helpful, really short uh, introduction to family worship, but I think addresses it from a really good standing. It even addresses a lot of the criticisms people might have of it that we brought up and other ones they we didn't bring up. Uh, also, Don Whitney's book, it's classic, just called Family Worship, mm-hmm. uh, is also a really great introduction. I prefer Neglected Grace a little bit. Uh, as for devotions or studies, uh, I think sometimes it can be good, we, especially when we talk about if you don't know how to lead through the text. It can be good to get like a family devotion that helps you study through a text of the Bible. Um, I really like Marty Wachowski. He's created a long story short. You actually shared that on your Facebook recently. I saw that as well mm-hmm. as uh, Old Story New. And they're kind of, one's an Old Testament, one's kind of a New Testament. It has some questions, especially for elementary age kids. Sometimes it's not as appropriate for preschoolers, and you'd have to rephrase it. But even then, I know some friends that do it with preschoolers, and they love it. Uh, but I, one thing we actually started with before we even got to the Bible 
as we used, and maybe it's <laughs> terrible in your opinion. I, d I don't know. Uh, but uh, there's something called Everything a Child Should Know About God. And it's kind of like a storybook Bible slash more of a basic systematic theology, basic truths about who God is. Hmm, I haven't heard and of that. And we kind of used that. It's great. The Everything a Child Should Know About God. I encourage you to check it out. It's like Ken Taylor. Is that the guy yeah, that did uh, the Living Bible? It is. Okay. It is the guy who did living. That's an excellent resource, I think, and especially for starting off uh, when the kids are going to have a harder time listening and they're really young. So and then kind of there at a sprinkled book. Uh, and then but catechisms or Bible memorizations. I really love North Star Catechism if you want to do catechism, which <coughs> I think can be good. The and as well as fi for verses, I really like the fighter verses from that. So and I mentioned some music, but I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, I mean, there, uh, we've got some overlap there. I've I've gotten those long story short, new story short. Uh, just looked at them a little bit, but I thought you know, yeah, something I, I might like to incorporate. And you had mentioned earlier some of those books like Jesus Storybook Bible uh, by Sally Lloyd Jones or the Big Picture Story Bible by mm -hmm. David Helm. We have both of those, and those those are helpful as well. And yeah, there's. I think the key is just finding something that's good. That's not just moralistic, and we've talked about that before, but something that's pointing to Christ. And, and I was talking to a friend recently who said she she tries to read the Bible with her son every night. Now I think he's four, and so she's like, I just don't know that I, I he's going to understand everything straight from the Bible, and then I, I feel the ability to explain it to him. And so I've been using a storybook Bible, and you know I, I encouraged yeah. her in that. I said, hey, that that's you know the fact that she's taking initiative to do that and then hopefully they'll progress to the point when they can just use the bible itself but the fact that they're being intentional about it and so but there are many resources out there and i think you just get online and you know sometimes get on amazon and then customers who also bought this item and you you see some mm -hmm. other good related resources but i think that has covered a, a lot of helpful things related to family worship just being intentional with our families to set aside time to worship the lord um, to instruct one another so Thank you for listening to this edition of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. We hope that you'll tune in, uh, follow us on SoundCloud or on iTunes for past episodes and for upcoming episodes. So thanks for listening, and we hope that you have a good day.